Thank you for tuning in to the Expository Word Podcast, where we are listening to classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Throughout these programs, Kimber faithfully follows the text to deliver God's message. He is committed to encouraging you. You mean to tell me that he is going to forgive all of your sins through Christ Jesus? He's not going to spare his own son for you? And then he's going to leave you out there? No way under the blooming moon is that going to happen. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants what's best for you. And you are his children. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the book of Samuel. And our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. We've had a break now for a few weeks from 1 Samuel. But just before we begin our study, I'd like to remind you of a couple of important verses that normally we, we use later on. And that, what I mean by that is normally we use these verses after we have finished studying the text and get ready to apply it to our lives. But I, I want to remind you how important it is to study the Bible. And that Christians down through the ages, the first century church, when they, if you study the sermons in the book of Acts, there's, before there's any denominations, they're just peppered with Old Testament scriptures. And something I want you to notice is this. Paul writes in the New Testament book of Romans, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. All that was written in the Old Testament was written that you might get encouragement and that you might get the endurance, the hupomeno, to endure so that you could have hope. In other words, one of the things you're going to see as we're about to study is we get the Monday morning quarterback's position, and that is what the game is over, and you can see as God is dealing with certain people in the Old Testament, you already know how it's going to come out because you've already either heard the story or you're reading the story, and you see it from God's perspective. When we're living our lives, we don't always see that. And so as a result, we, we struggle. But the Old Testament was written that it might teach us so that we could have endurance, so we might get encouragement, and we could have hope. And I want you also to notice a Scripture, and we can't let this ever f- fail us, and that is that God, all Scripture is God-breathed. All that we're going to read here in 1 Samuel chapter 10. And it's useful, it's profitable to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that we need for our Christian life, God has given us in His Holy Word. I want to remind you also that in Second Timothy, the Bible talks about the purpose of preaching the Word. And one of the main purposes of preaching the Word is to encourage the saints. And so as we preach through 1 Samuel, I think we need to keep that in mind. Now since it's been three weeks, we've missed three straight weeks from our study in 1 Samuel, and in in so doing, let me just very quickly and briefly remind you as to where we are. In our study in 1 Samuel, the book is is divided into three main sections. The first seven chapters deal with Samuel, and then there's a summary of that section. And then the next... Uh, seven chapters deal with Saul with another summary and then we're going to move for a long period of time into the life of David now in chapter 8 we've had an assembly in which the people ask for a king remember there had been a theocracy in Israel there had not been a monarchy and there now the people are asking for a king for the first time and then uh, you can see this assembly action assembly action assembly action scenario which is a major part of our study on the life of Saul 
Now, remember, it was not God's will. It was not a gift that He gave them in giving them Saul. It was a consent. It was a, He gave it to them because they kept asking. They wanted to be like the other nations. And if we quickly, to review the first several chapters we, about Samuel, you see there's the unusual circumstances about his birth, the unusual wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas, the calling of Samuel into the ministry, the removal of Hophni and Phinehas, the ark is captured, huge losses in battle, and then we see that God can take care of himself, king or no king, priest or no priest. That's a significant two chapters right before they start asking for a king. We've already seen that God can take care of himself. And then there is revival under Samuel's ministry where you see real repentance taking place. So then we get ready to move in to the section on the life of Saul becoming king. And in, in doing so, I want to just see uh, in this particular section of him actually becoming a king, I want you to see how it's broken down because I sort of left you off halfway in between. One is chapter 9, verse 1 through 10:16. We're going to go up through 10:16 today. Is Samuel anointed, uh, Saul anointed by Samuel? Then we see him chosen by Lot. That'll be next week. Where, so up, up to what we're doing today from chapter 9, verse 1. In chapter 8, they ask for a king. In chapter 9 through chapter 10:16, Samuel is getting ready to anoint Saul and does anoint Saul as king, but it's all secret and private. Next week, we're going to see it go public, and then it's going to be confirmed by the nation of Israel in chapter 11. Now, that is important to remember, because as as we would re- re- remember from chapter 9, several things happen in chapter 9. I want you just to go back with me in chapter 9 and review a couple of things just to get us up to snuff so that we know where we are today when we get to chapter 10. First off, the nation in chapter 8 has asked for a king. Now in chapter 9, um, Samuel has been told by God, go ahead and anoint somebody king. But he doesn't know who it's going to be, and he's wondering who it is. And then all of a sudden, a story is told about a man named Saul who was very tall and uh, 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 head and shoulders above the rest of the people in Israel. And as he comes along, he, his father sends him out on a mission. He goes, go get one of the servants and go find those lost donkeys, which was a common problem in Israel. Well, so the, the story begins, now you've you got to see this. This is the wisdom of God that we would never think of ourselves. The story begins of Israel's king about to be anointed, a man going out looking for lost donkeys and with a servant. And so as he's traveling around, he starts going in this cycle like this, around this circle, as the text if you review from a few weeks ago, looking for these donkeys. And he keeps looking and he can't find them, and he keeps looking and he can't find them. And just about when he's about to give up, the servant said, I've got an idea. In this town of Zuf up ahead, there's a, there's a, a prophet, a, a seer, and he'll be able to tell us where the donkeys are. And Saul goes, no, let's go home. He goes, no, come on, let's try him. And Saul goes, well, what are we going to give him? Because it was expected in that day to give a payment to the man that would tell you where lost things were, a seer who could see into the future. And the servant goes, I just happen to have a chunk of silver here in my pocket. We'll give him this. So Saul goes, oh, all right. And so they go to the town. Now, as they're going up the hill to a town, and I want you to remember that the towns were built on two hills. That a town would be on the second highest hill, and the high place of worship would be on the highest hill. And so they're going up the hill to this town to find the seer, or Samuel, to find out where their lost donkeys are. And as they're going up, a group of girls are going down the hill to fetch a pail of water. And as they're going down that hill to fetch that pail of water, they run into... Saul and his servant, and they say, hey, where is the king? Or, excuse me, they say, where is the seer? Is he here? And the girls very excitedly, and with, with a strong language, they go, yes, 
He's just up there. He's right up at the entrance to the city. Get going. He's about to go to the high place to worship. You won't be able to go there. So you, if you hustle, you can catch him. And so they go up the hill. And it says then in verse 14 of chapter 9, they went up to the town. And as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them in his way up to the high place. So as they were entering, Samuel was going out as Saul and his servant were going in. And the Lord said to Samuel the day before, hey, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send you the man that you're going to anoint king. And so Samuel is right around that time looking, hey, I wonder who this guy is. It's about now he's going to come. And all of a sudden he sees this great big tall guy come walking through the gate. He walks up and he sees them. And Saul actually comes to Samuel and said, uh, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? Saul goes right to Samuel and Saul doesn't know who Samuel is. And then here is the shock of all shocks. This is, this just shows you the humor of the Lord because Samuel says, I'm the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place for today you're to eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for your donkeys that you lost three days ago, they've been wandering around for three days. Don't worry. They have been found. And then he makes this statement. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and to all your family? Now Saul is just a farm boy out looking for some lost donkeys. And all of a sudden as he asks, he goes, yeah, I'm just here and I want you to come with me to a banquet. And by the way, your donkeys are fine and you're going to become king. At least that's sort of the implication made. And Saul, Saul you remember this big tall, I sort of picture him like Jethro, Jethro on Clampets. Do you remember him? Uh, remember that big guy? I sort of picture him like that in my mind. And he's like wondering, well, wow, what's, what's going to happen here? And so he starts getting ready to go. And he, they, I, I, Samuel brings him up to the high place. And there's 30 of the big top officials of the town. I mean, this was an exclusive banquet. And they go to the high place. And they go into the banquet hall at the high place where they worshiped. And there's 30 of the top officials. And there's the prime seat left for the high priest. And Samuel walks Saul right over to that seat and sits him down. And then he says to the man, hey, remember that choice piece of meat that would have been set aside only for the high priest? Give it to this man. This is the piece I told I'm telling you, if, for, if, for, if you could put yourself back into Israel, Saul would be going, what is going on? I'm just looking for some lost donkeys. Now here I am, the honored guest at this banquet of, a, of, of city officials, and they're giving me the chief, the chief food. Well, afterwards, they come back down, and he, they go back down the hill from the highest place, deck down to the city, and they stay there in the city. And Samuel says, you spend the night, and tomorrow I want to talk with you. And so we left off a few weeks ago with this statement. Samuel said to Saul, as they were going down to the edge of town, Samuel said, tell your servant to go on ahead. So remember, they've been to the high place, they spent the night on the roof of the town, and now they're getting ready to leave. And Samuel says, Saul, come here a second. Would you tell your servant to go away a little bit? Just go on away. Nothing offensive, just leave. And he says, I've got something to tell you. And look at verse 27 of chapter 9. He says, as they were going down to the edge of that town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so, but you stay here a while so that I may give you a message from God. Now I'm wondering how much sleep Saul got that night. And I'm wondering what Saul was thinking about. And so the servant is sitting there realizing all of this took place. And he walks away and Saul is getting, I'm about to get a message from God. Now this was big. This was a big event. And so what was that message? Well, let's look at chapter 10 and verse 1. In 10 and verse 1, we read, And Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? In private, on this road just outside of town, 
with nobody else around, the prophet, the, 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 the famous prophet Samuel, takes farm boy Saul, anoints him with oil, and says, has not God anointed you to lead his people? Now, I want you just to stop right there because there should be a break in the text. Actually, verse 1 should be at the end of chapter 9, I think. But if you, were, if, if you would just stop a second and put yourself in Saul's place. Just 24 hours earlier, you were a farm boy looking for lost donkeys. Suddenly, you run into this guy. He takes you to the banquet. You're at the chief seat. You get the chief meal. All the elders are looking at you. They're wondering what's going on, all the city officials. You spend the night at Samuel, famous Samuel, the prophet's house. The next morning, he says to his servant, go on ahead. And then he said he anoints you with oil and says you're going to be king. I'm going to tell you, this had to be a moment of tremendous anxiety, fear, bewilderment, and wonder. Saul had had to definitely be confused as to what was going on. So what do you think a man like Saul would need at a time like this? He would need some encouragement. And I want you to see what God and Samuel gives to him. Look at verse 2. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you'll go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats another three loaves of bread, another a skin of wine. They will meet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you'll go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, for you must wait seven days until I come to you and to tell you what you are doing. Now, remember, Saul is in shock. And these verses, verses 2 through 8, this is going to tell you, listen, why do we study the Bible? To learn about God, to learn about perseverance, to learn about encouragement, to learn about hope. Now I'm going to tell you there is so much here for you to take with you today. Now, listen, Saul is in shock. Just a farm boy being promoted to king. He's the smallest in his tribe. He's the smallest in his family. I'm talking about his his tribe, not his size, but his, his, his people. And all of a sudden, he's anointed by the famous Samuel as king over Israel. And what you see here is a very most unusual day. I wonder how many of us have had days like this. It's a most unusual day. This is not your typical day in Israel for Saul. And Samuel says, look, just to give you some confidence, just to prove to you that you're a man that God is going to use, here's what's going to happen. And then he outlines his day. You're going to meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. Here's the area of Benjamin. We're not sure where these towns are, but as you go on your way, you're going to go to Zelzah. Samuel knew, um, Saul obviously knew the way home. And the way home passed through Zelzah. And he says, as you're going to be going through there, on the border, you're going to meet two men, and they're going to say to you, the donkeys you've looked for have been found, and your father's now worried about you. He's asking, where shall my son go? Now, maybe you say, well, okay, but that could happen. That's a coincidence. He says, so you're going to go there, and these men are going to say specifically this to you. Now, by the way, you're going to keep on going down the road. Look at verse 3 again. From there, you're going to go to the great tree 
of Tabor, and three men. The first one was two men, and here's exactly what they're going to say to you. Now three men are going to come up to you, and those men are going to come to you at as you go up, and they're going to be going up to God at Bethel. By the way, what they're carrying, one is carrying bread, one is carrying wine, one is carrying goats. And, and I want you to know, these are all men on their way to sacrifice and to worship. It would have been clear in anyone's mind. If you saw these men walking together, today, if you saw a man walking with goats, bread, and wine, you'd be wondering, well, who are they? But back in those days, you'd, oh, they're going to worship. It would have been very clear. And as these men are going to worship, he says, notice what's going to happen. Um, one's going to be carrying three goats. I'd like to see that guy. I wonder how he did it, by the way. Three, three loaves of bread, another a skin of wine, and they're going to greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you'll accept. Now, this was shocking. You may not seem shocking to you. Here's a guy carrying three goats, another guy carrying a skin of wine, and another guy is carrying three loaves of bread. Now, they're obviously going to worship, but here's what's shocking. They're going to offer, they're going to greet you. Hi, how you doing? And they're going to offer two loaves of bread to Saul. Now, you say, what's so re- re- weird about that? Much and in every way it's weird. That is bread that has been consecrated to the Lord. That's bread that has been set aside to God. This is the kind of bread that is especially set aside for worship, and they're going to offer two of it. And if you were alive in that day, understanding that culture, Saul would have had this in his mind. This does not happen. You don't offer bread to just some guy walking down the road. This is somebody that is anointed. This is somebody who is special. This is somebody whom God is going to use. And so it would have meant a whole lot different than it may mean to us today. And then the third sign, look at verse 5. After that, you'll go to Gibeah of God, where there'll be a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them. And they'll be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you in power, and you'll prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds for you to do. You're going to approach the next town, and get, get this now, it was two men, and they're going to say specifically this. It was three men with three, gro- three goats, three uh, loaves of bread, a skin of wine, and they're going to offer you exactly this, which you will accept, by the way. And the reason that Samuel has to add that is because nobody, Saul, would not have accepted that in his right mind because it was consecrated. And then he says, and then you're going to meet a procession of prophets coming down the mountain, and they're going to have a group of people before them playing music, and it's going to be... Uh, and, <laughs> It's going to be quite a sight, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God's going to come over you, and you're going to become like one of them, prophesying. Well, I would have liked to have seen the look on Saul's face when he heard this. And by the way, if we would study, for instance, 2 Kings 2.7 or 1 Kings 18.4.13 or 2 Kings 4.43, I'd just throw those out for you to uh, take his notes later. But these prophets, this, this prophecy groups that were, were a, a covenant group of people that would live together, and there would be give lots of ecstatic utterances. And it was, it was very much like you would hear today about the charismatic or the tongue speakers, and they would almost lose control of who they were, and they would be set back, and they would make these prophecies uh, as far as God giving special wisdom and revelation to Israel, and, and it would be a time of celebrating God's goodness, and so there would be women playing tambourines, and there would be flutes and lyres and harps, and just imagine out in the middle of the wilderness coming down this hill is this group of people with uh, harps and tambourines and, and, and lyres, and all of this going on, and, and all of a sudden as they're prophesying and speaking in some kind of aesthetic language, Saul is going to get caught up into it, and he's going to become just like one of them. The Spirit of God is going to come over you as they come down this hill. And literally, your heart is going to be overturned, is what the Scripture says there in verse 6. Your heart's going to literally be overturned. You're going to be changed into a different person. 
And after that, look at verse 7. Just do what you want to do because God is with you. In other words, these things are going to prove to you. You're going to run into two men who are going to say this, three men that are going to do this, and then a prophecy, and you're going to actually prophesy with them, and, and all that's going to exactly happen. Later on, though, you go to Gilgal. Here's Gilgal on the map. You go down to Gilgal, and you wait there seven days for me. you got a part here of obedience. I want you to wait there. Now, I will tell you... Um, it, it, it is it is it is amazing to consider that now this writer, for some reason that we don't know, only tells us about the third sign. It says in verse nine, as Saul turned to leave, Samuel God leave Samuel. God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. So all of those signs were fulfilled. But now, as you go to verse ten, the writer chooses only to tell you about the third sign with all of the prophets. And watch what happens. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets, prophets met him. Remember, this is 50 or 100 men. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Now, he's near his hometown. Remember, he's going back home. Because it says in verse 11, when all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered and said, who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. This would have been the high place at his hometown, the special place of worship near his hometown. Now, uh, look at verses 14 through 16 because the writer tells us one more thing. His uncle questions him. You know, his father's worried. Now he comes back home. Remember, families live together. And the uncle says in verse 14, now Samuel's, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when they saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Tell me, what did Samuel say to you? And Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Saul had said about his kingship. Now, uh, the section ends with this secret, and that is Saul keeps the secret. He was anointed in private. He knows that he's going to be going down to Gilgal. There's going to be a special festival. and he, He's got that very much in his mind that that's when he's going to be ordained king but he doesn't tell his uncle anything. He doesn't lie to them, but he doesn't tell him anything. Now, again, I want to ask you this question as you sit here. It's Sunday morning, June 4th, 1995. You've got all kinds of problems and all kinds of struggles and all kinds of joys that you're facing in your life. And as you hear a story about a king being anointed in a little tiny Mideastern country thousands of years ago, and, and he happens to be the first king, but he's anointed on a road all by himself. And he comes along and all these things take place. You may be wondering to yourself, you know, the Bible doesn't make sense to me. What, what am I supposed to get out of that? Well, let me just remind you of a couple things from chapter 9 first. Remember from chapter 9, we just quickly reviewed it. But he's the God that is sovereign over the minutiae of our lives. Remember, all of these meetings, all of these events... All of this, the, 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 the gunk of silver in the guy's pocket, but meeting the girls coming down the hill, all of that was God sovereignly sending the man to Samuel. And most of those things would appear to be irritants, but God's plan is greater than our petty problems. Don't forget that. Also, don't forget that God is mulish in his mercy. This was not God's will that they would have a king. And yet God, as he consents to the pleadings of men, still is mulish. He doesn't give up on his people. He says, I've looked upon my people and I'm going to send them this man that is going to help them. And so he's full of compassion. Even, listen, God is so much greater in love and compassion that we can begin to realize. 
He sends him a man even, and, and, and tries to send him a man that will really help them even though uh, it wasn't his desire for them to ask. This God is, is amazing in mercy, the God of the Bible. And so what about application then from chapter 10? Well, just two very simple ones. Number one, I want you to see, and I'll tell you this ought to just, this ought to uh, make you want to leap for joy as you leave here. God goes out of his way to encourage. God goes out of his way to encourage. I want you to th- stop and realize the first eight verses of this chapter and what we learn about it. He's the God of sovereign minutia. He's the God that's mulish in mercy. What seems like a lot of accidents or mishaps, he has his plan in all of it. But remember now, everybody, and let me say to you again about the fourth time I've said this to you, because this is key to understanding this text. Remember, Saul had to have been stunned. He must have been whirling in his head. And I want you to remember something. The whole Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, teaches us very clearly that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Yet, as we walk by faith, and not by sight, which is so foundational to our Christian life, it does not exclude the fact that God is so sovereign and so great and so mighty and so merciful and so tender towards His people that even when our faith flickers, just flickers, and there is Saul standing there, big, overgrown, Jephro-looking guy, and there he is getting ready to become king of Israel, all of Israel. What an honor this would have been. And as he is there thinking, he would must have been nervous and scared. I wonder if he said, Samuel, and before you know him, he had to run behind the bush. He may have gotten sick. I mean, that you have to realize what a big deal this would have been to him. And as he is there, God is so kind to his people. God is so loving towards those who, who, his covenant people, Israel, that even though that Saul is in that condition, and even though this was not even the will of God, this was the will of the people. Even though all through this, it smells of, of human self-will. Even though all that is the case. I want you to make sure that you see this. That even though we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, yet as the psalmist says in Psalm eighty-six seventeen, he says, give me a sign of thy goodness. And as Gideon said, as he makes a request for a fleece, oh, just to make sure that you're with me. Remember, Gideon comes from a bunch of Baal and Asheroth worshipers and, and, the, and the Midianites were flooding the nation Israel and he was scared that how could we overthrow them? They hardly had any weapons, do you remember? And yet he says, show me, and God honors the fleece. And, and all of this, I want you to see that in this type of situation, as you look down, God is a God that goes out of His way to encourage. He says, okay, just to prove to you that I'm with you you're going to meet two men and they're going to say this to you. And if that doesn't do it, you're going to go down the road and you're going to meet three men. One carrying three goats. One carrying three loaves of bread. One carrying wine. And they're going to speak to you and they're going to greet you and they're going to offer you those two loaves. Saul knew that doesn't happen. No one's going to do that. They're not going to offer a guy like me consecrated bread. But yet it happened. And then you're going to go down the road and there's going to be a band of prophets with women leading the tambourines and flutes out front. This is the way they happen. And it's going to be this wonderful thing happening with the Spirit of God all over these people. And suddenly you're going to get caught up in it. And that's going to happen to you and your heart's going to be changed and you're going to become a new person. Oh, friends, may I tell you about our God? Listen to me. His name is Comforter and Helper. That's the word for Holy Spirit. He's the one who comes alongside we're going to have more about that tonight. We're going to study the word paraclete tonight. He is the God of the troubled. He's the God of the brokenhearted. He is the God of the overwhelmed. He is the God of the person that sits back and goes, how can I handle this situation? I can't handle it. And here's what I want you to know. God knows about you. 
God knows about you. Yes, he knows about the king of Israel. You go, yeah, but that's the king of Israel. But he also knows about you. The Bible says he thinks about you more times than our sands, grains of sand upon the seashore. He knows the number of hair on your head. He knows about you as he knows about a sparrow as it flutters from branch to branch. So he knows about you. And I want you to stop and realize that when you are in a situation like Saul, that he is comforter, helper. He's the God of the troubled, the brokenhearted, the overwhelmed. He knows when you're fearful. He knows the anxiety in your heart. And I want you to know this, he still cares. Oh, the tender mercy of our God. Think about this. What love and concern. Israel had asked for the king, not God. And yet God gives them the king as a gift, not as a concession. And yet, and yet, he is so merciful that even when this man who wasn't even his first desire comes along, God says, ah, I'll encourage this man. He needs encouragement. This is too much for a man to take in one day. I'll encourage him. Friends, can I remind you that there's a man named Barnabas, Barnabas, a very important person in the New Testament who was son of encouragement. Can I tell you in Romans chapter 12, the Bible teaches that one of the spiritual gifts given is that of encouragement. Can I tell you that Paul sends in several different of his letters in Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy, he sends people to special locations just to encourage them. Can I tell you that in light of the second coming of Christ, if you want to say, well, where do you stand on the second coming? You pre, post, mid, blib, blib, blab, or lip. You know, what are you? All right? I want to tell you, here's one thing you need to know about the second coming of Christ. If you want to get bottom line about it, here it is. Therefore, comfort one another and encourage one another with these words. The therefore, the application to believers in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 about the second coming is this, that we might be encouraged and comforted by the truth of the second coming of Christ. How about preaching the word? Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. How about this? 1 Thessalonians, as a father deals with his children, so we dealt with you, encouraging you, comforting you, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Whoever wrote Hebrews says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily so long as it is called today. Encouragement is the main thing in the Scriptures. And I want to tell you something. Do you want to be like God? Be an encourager. Encourage your spouse. Encourage your kids. Encourage your coworkers. Encourage your fellow church members. Can I tell you? It is just absolutely uh, sickening to think about how short our lives are and how much time we spend peddling Pettily picking and, and, and criticizing and hurting and saying little things to tear down somebody else rather than using our mouths to glorify God to encourage believers. Oh, if you're going to make a mistake, I want to encourage you to be like God and make it on the side of encouragement. You may say, yeah, but I don't know if so-and-so needs to be encouraged. Look what they did. Hey, God could have said that here. God could have said, look, I didn't ask them to give him Saul. I know the way Saul's going to turn out. And yet he's a God that is so mulish in his mercy. He's a God that is so sovereign and, and committed to his people that nothing can shake him from loving his people. And we need to be more like that. We need to reflect that in our relationships with one another. So much of our relationships is conditional. God doesn't give up on his people because they ask for something that he doesn't want. Oh, listen, friends, go out of your way to encourage. I guarantee you when you're laying in the caskets, you're going to be sorry for all the critical, nasty belittling comments that you made to those people that you love. And you're going to wish that there was more time to give encouragement, to cheer people on, to go out of our way to help others. He's the God that does this. We need to be like Him. If He's this way, we need to do it. Did He have to do this? No, but He did it for Saul's sake. Saul's sake. Saul, who's going to end, by the time we finish this study, you're going to see Saul turns to the devil to get counsel. And yet God still is this way committed to His people. I'll tell you something else. He does not call you to a task 
Now listen to this. He's a God of encouragement. To please everyone, he marked this down. This is a great principle. Remember, I already showed you the Scriptures. This is supposed to help you live your life. So listen carefully. God will not call you to a task that He will not provide everything you need to accomplish it. You say, how do you get that out of the passage? Go to verse 6. Look at it again. Look at verse 6. He says, in verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power and you will prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person. Look at this promise. Here's what Saul, Saul had to be scared. Oh, how am I going to do this? We, by the way, we're going to find him next week when they get ready to anoint him publicly. They can't find him. He's hiding in the luggage. I mean, he's very much like us. Very weak and scared and frail. And this is the kind of person that God chose to use. And look, at he says, the power of the Spirit will be given you. You'll be changed into a different person. Not only that, but look at verse 7. In verse 7, look what else is told him. He says, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do. God is with you. What a promise. God is with you. Go out and do whatever it is you want to do after all these signs have been fulfilled. In other words, in verse 6, it's the power of the Spirit. In verse 7, there's wisdom and discernment given. And then how about in verse 8? Direction from the Word. Look at verse 8. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come and tell you what you are to do. Not only, listen, he was given the Spirit of God. He was given wisdom to just do whatever it is you've done after all these signs and you're, you're confident that God is with you. You just do what you're supposed to do. And then listen to this. And thirdly, and Samuel says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to tell you the next step for you in God's will. Oh. Think about it. Power of the Spirit, wisdom and discernment, direction from God's Word. Yes, we're supposed to walk by faith, and yet God will send people and events into our lives to encourage us. Do you believe that, everybody? As you sit here today, and you came to listen to a sermon and to worship God, can I ask you something? Are you going to leave here realizing that God is committed to encouraging you? You're going to realize that He is the Comforter. That is His very name of the Holy Spirit. Comforter, Helper, Encourager. One who is called alongside to give counsel and advice and help. That you're not left out there. One of the promises of Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Sometimes, see, we, we, we think about our responsibility in the Christian life, and certainly we have responsibility. And we hear about all of those things, and, and, and we get weary, and, we, and, and the road seems to be so hard. And you look at your life, and if you're trying to live for the Lord, you realize that you have to confess your sins regularly. And you realize that you're falling short of the whole counsel of God. And you realize in the arrogance that's often in your heart, and you realize, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And it's so easy to go through your Christian life and just get beaten down to where you think, I really can't do this. But I want you to know something. The Almighty God is the same today as He was then. He is committed to encouraging you. Do you mean to tell me that He is going to forgive all of your sins through Christ Jesus? He's not going to spare His own Son for you and then He's going to leave you out there? No way under the blooming moon is that going to happen. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants what's best for you. And you are His children. Any of you parents that have children? You know how much you love them. And I want you to know this, that God goes out of His way to encourage us. If your mind has not been renewed for a long time, then I want you to know that you don't think God is committed to encourage you. You think God doesn't like you. And all I want you to know is you've listened to the devil and you have not listened to the Scriptures. Because God loves His people unspeakably. He'll go out of His way to help them. He's not hard to please. The only other thing I want to say is God <clears throat> works and we don't often see it.
You want to know something about this passage that's very interesting? The word find, the Hebrew word find is found 12 times in this passage. That's key to understanding this. This passage is fascinating. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Because all during chapters 9 and 10, nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on as you read these chapters. Samuel knows a little bit, but he's not sure until all the way about midway through chapter 9. Saul thinks that he's out looking for lost livestock. Those at the banquet, when Saul gets placed at the high seat, they're not sure exactly who what's going on, but they know something, he's somebody important, but they're not sure why. Saul's servant is out of eyesight and earshot when he gets the smell of the anointing. He, 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 he sees that Saul has been anointed, but he's not sure what it's all about. Saul with the prophets make great ways, but all the people are going, what's going on? We can't, the passage is very controversial whether people are criticizing or just bewildered, but if they're either criticizing or they're bewildered. Saul's uncle doesn't have a clue. What's going on? What does Samuel say? He doesn't tell him. And, and why, why, why do I bring this up? What point does that have for someone living the Christian life this year? It goes like this, everybody. Because this should greatly encourage you. Our God is at work even when we can't see it. Oftentimes, let's be honest, oftentimes we don't live leading people to Christ and speaking revivals and doing all kinds of wonderful things where you just see the mighty hand of God swooping down. Much of your life is spent doing things like carrying loaves of bread, going up down the hill to get water. And what I want you to see is when all that is said and done, you can say, even though you can't see it, God is at work. And we should live with that I spy God mentality. Where the great man of God said in certain circumstances, you know, I see God doing something here. And as we study these chapters, we can see from the perspective of God, but as we live, we can't. Is your life boring? You say, I'm just a housewife. I've just got a, I've just got a boring job. No, I'm just in the rut. I'm just, my days, weeks the same, day in and day out. Well, I want you to remember that's how it was for the girls going down the hill to get the water. That's how it was for the men carrying the going to the worship. It was just another day. And as Dale Ralph Davis says, listen, in Scripture, this is often the way God works. He is working for the deliverance of His people, but we don't see it. He works secretly. We can clearly see surface matters like lost asses, and perhaps that is all we can discern. Yahweh often maintains His kingdom as an, in an undercover way. And His true servants will always find this a most bracing encouragement to find out that God is at work even though we can't always see it. So what I'm saying is two things. We live by faith, not by sight. But God goes out of His way to encourage us when our faith is small. And yet at the same time, this passage is written to help you live by faith even when your faith is small. See, the Scriptures say, don't doubt and fear, but trust Him. And He will send you down the path already prepared for you. Did you get that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. He'll have the path prepared. What do you see here? You see God doing that. Saul going out and his path is prepared. Samuel going out and his path is prepared. And it's amazing to see it working. This can sound arrogant, but I, I say it to you humbly. I really do. Because I mean it that way. And it only gives glory to God. But... You, you know, I've gotten new insight over the last 10 years of being a pastor at this church at what Jesus Christ meant when He said, I will build my church. Because this church has been built and grown like I could never imagine. And, and can I tell you what? I, am, I want you to know something with confidence. It's God that's built this church. There are so many stories that are unbelievable. In 1987, when this church went on the radio, 
I had no desire to go on the radio. Absolutely none. You know why? Because that was the year Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swaggart fell out of the ministry. I wanted nothing to do with it. God raised up some people, a person that wanted us to be on the radio, and I didn't even pay attention for about six months. And I kept getting phone calls and questions. I don't want to be on the radio. And it was almost like my hand was forced. It really was. And finally, we went out to lunch, and the radio station said, we want to put you on these two-minute commercials where the janitor gets interviewed, and he talks about how friendly the church is. And I said, I don't want that. What do you want? You want a five-minute show? No. Ten-minute show? No. What do you want? I want my Sunday morning message put on the radio. How long do you preach? I said, 45, 50 minutes. What? You can't do that. So that's the only thing I want. I don't want anything else. I don't, I don't have time to go prepare much of radio shows. You know, I can't do that. So you know what? I hear time and time and time again about people that have come to the church, have come to Christ because of the radio. I, I just this morning, how many of you, just be interesting to see this, just interesting, how many of you wanted to come here or came here because you heard us on the radio? Would you raise your hand? L- look at this. It's an amazing number of people. Now, I'm going to tell you, that was not planned, that was not schemed. I didn't even want it. And God just sort of says, Kim, you don't know what you want. Here, put you over here. <laughs> and I just want you to see as we consider this passage, God goes out of His way to encourage His people, and God is at work even though we can't always discern it, and we can give praise to Him. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You and praise You that You are so great in mercy. You are so fantastic in Your ways. Who would have ever thought, Lord, that the first king of Israel would be out looking for donkeys when he was anointed? And who would have ever thought that the king of kings would be born in a manger? Your ways are fantastic. We cannot begin to fathom Your greatness. And we praise You for Your greatness. In Jesus' name, Amen. And that concludes today's expository word. If you have additional recorded messages of Kimber at home and would consider sharing them with our audience, please contact us through our email at theexpositoryword at gmail.com. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.